Welcome to the I Love to Watch You Play.com podcast with Dr. Sam Minyar, our resident sports psychologist. Our mission help you be the best sports parent or coach you can be. And we do this by talking to the top experts and newsmakers in youth sports and drilling down on the topics that are most important to the health, happiness, and success of you and your athlete. So our subject matter today is sleep. And listen to this, sleep has the most potential for positive impact on athletic performance. More than training modifications, coaching, nutrition, or conditioning. Scientists have called it the most potent performance enhancing activity that we know of. In other words, there's nothing that you can do. There's no drug, there's no routine, there's no food you can eat that's going to have a bigger impact on your performance scientifically than the sleep you get at night. Today's guest is Dr. Amy Bender. She is an award-winning sleep scientist who has earned national recognition working with athletes and researching and writing about sleep. She's been interviewed for stories in Oprah Magazine and Parade Magazine. She's a frequent podcast guest and TED Med panelist. Dr. Bender also happens to be a former college basketball player and a mother of three. Nod to both those things, Dr. Bender, because we share those in common. Her current title, is Director of Clinical Sleep Science at Cerebra. So a few things we're gonna be talking to Dr. Bender about today, understanding your child's sleep chronotype, the ideal amount of sleep by age, elite athlete sleep schedules, how the loss of sleep impacts recovery and performance, and can you bank sleep? Welcome, Dr. Bender. I was just gonna say, you know, maybe you could start off by by telling us, you know, why why is sleep so important? What's the big deal with sleep and sport? I mean, as you mentioned in the intro, I believe sleep is the biggest performance enhancer out there. So um, it 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 helps our decision making. It helps our reaction time. It, it helps our overall physical and mental health. And we can go into some of those in more detail, but. Um, and you know, with with poor sleep, we see see those things suffering, and uh, really important for athletes specifically to help athletes stay in the game. It helps with immunity. It helps with injury risk. So uh, yeah, really important um, thing that it's not a you know you're doing it on your off time, so it takes a little bit of prioritization. Could you sure. say it's an epidemic? sleep problems? I know like definitely with, um, you know, adult population, but is there some way to sort of quantify that as a country or as a society that we have sleep problems? About, about a third of adults across the world have either sleep deprivation or sleep disorders. So it's a huge chunk, you know, 50% of people in their lifetime will suffer from insomnia. So that's another big stat. And, you know, those types of things show impact on even our economy and people missing work due to sleep deprivation or being present, but not really present, you know, during the workday. So yeah, I would say, you know, we're not there yet to where people are 
going to automatically try and optimize it. You know, as more people become aware of the impacts on sleep, it seems like sleep is actually getting worse. Um, you know, when I look, you know, I talk to my clients, they have horrible sleep habits. And, you know, how much how much of an impact is, is this on on our sleep? Well, first, I'll say um, <laughs> being a sleep scientist mom, uh, I think you know, it's important to get the message out there, but I think it can, in fact, create anxiety. And my son is a good example of this. He's eight years old. He is more of that, you know, anxious type. And um, I talk about the importance of sleep, and then he can kind of freak out when he's not able to fall asleep on time. So um, we have to kind of create a balance in the messaging for sure. Uh, when it comes to electronic devices, it's more, you know, it's about the blue light, number one, but number two, it's about the content that you're looking at as well. So blue light can be alerting to our brain, it can reduce our melatonin, and it can wake us up. So when we're using our electronic devices right before bedtime, you know, that's when we want our melatonin to be optimized and at its at its peak. So it, it could have an impact on our overall sleep quality if we're using our electronics right up until bedtime. Um, but, you know, it's also about the content as well. The content can be arousing. The content can you know, give us cortisol hits, depending on what we're looking at. So best, best thing to do would be to put those electronic devices away about an hour before bedtime. And you mentioned melatonin. Um, for, for our listeners who maybe don't understand what mel melatonin is, could you give us a layperson's description of melatonin? Melatonin is our sleepiness hormone. So it starts to get released about two hours before bedtime and then peaks during the night. So about 4 a.m., we start to see our highest levels of melatonin. And of course, this varies depending on the person. So a person who is more of a night owl, like a teenager, an adolescent who biologically is releasing melatonin about two hours later than an adult is going to be releasing that melatonin later. And so, you know, it's more like 6 a.m. may be their peak in melatonin rise. So we have to be aware of that. I know your audience is adolescent athletes. So trying to you know, I hear a lot where teens are lazy for wanting to sleep in. Well, no, actually, in reality, it's it's a part of their biology. So there is variation in when we release melatonin. And um, it's that sleepiness hormone that's occurring. And different things can impact melatonin, the number one being light. So light sends a signal to our brain to wake up and um, also reduces our melatonin. So the timing of that light at night is not good right before bedtime, but the timing of that light in the morning is really good because it's reducing that melatonin when we wake up and it's actually creating better sleep quality throughout uh, that night if I'm getting lots of light in the morning. 
So does that mean then, is there a difference in quality if you try to get your kids to go to bed, let's say it's a weekend earlier rather than sleeping in later? So is it better to get up earlier with the sun, you're saying, than it is? So it depends, it does change the quality of sleep you get depending on which end you're getting it. Yeah, so ideally we want to align our sleep with our chronotype. So chronotype meaning to be, if you're more likely to be a night owl, you ideally want to go to bed later and wake up later because then it's more in in alignment with your biology. Um, however, there are uh, early morning trainings, there's school, so right. it makes it pretty challenging to to do that. And with actually COVID, we saw that uh, teenagers were actually sleeping better during COVID because yeah. they didn't have a lot of those responsibilities in the morning. They were able to go to bed later and sleep in later because, you know, they're not having to go into school. So um, yeah, ideally we want to align our sleep schedule with our chronotype. But if we don't have that capability, which is probably the majority of adolescents, um, we want to block light at night, maybe wearing blue light blocking glasses, and then get lots of light in the morning. And that may be using uh, light glasses in the morning. So there's different strategies that we can kind of trick our circadian rhythm into being on a more normal schedule. And just for everyone, I mean, some of the people that might be listening aren't even sure what is the ideal amount of sleep. So what what is it dependent upon um, the person or is there an actual ideal amount? Yes. Let me see if I can share my screen here. And I have a slide on this. Let's see here. Okay, hopefully you can see that. Yep. Okay, so this is a uh, sleep duration recommendations based on ages. So here we have in blue is the recommended amount in dark blue. Um, there is a bit of a range as you will see. And in light blue, we say uh, it's maybe appropriate and yellow is you know not recommended. So for a school-aged child, we want to get between 9 and 11 hours of sleep. For a teenager, we're looking at more like 8 to 10. And for a young adult, or actually any adult, it's between 7 and 9. And as we get older, that sleep need drops potentially a little bit. So, so that is the recommendation would be for a teenager to get between 8 and 10 hours. Um, and if we look at what... This is just an example of some professional athletes, and this was a little while back, so you'll notice some of these athletes are actually retired at this point. Um, but we do see different athletes like Roger Federer reporting between 11 and 12 hours, LeBron James 12 hours, Michelle Wee 10 to 12 hours. And so uh, the majority of people, athletes on this screen, are definitely prioritizing sleep now we do see Tiger Woods. So there are athletes, anomaly athletes who, you know, can potentially get by with less sleep. Um, but in general, you know, a lot of these athletes are prioritizing sleep. 
and folks like Roger Federer is, um, you know, when he's at a competition, he's actually sleeping in a different house than potentially his family. And I think he has twins. So, um, yes, I mean, (laughs) yeah, sleep, sleep is really, really important. And a lot of people are, are a lot of athletes do prioritize it. So I think that's a great segue, uh, Dr. Bender, into what, you know, could you share a little bit about Tiger Woods was the anomaly on there. And I'm not about to imply that maybe his, some of his back or soft tissue injuries are necessarily a result of his sleep. However, um, can you share a little bit about the relationship between sleep and injury? Yes, I actually have a good slide on that as well. Um, Perfect. (laughs) Let me try this again here. Uh, I will say regarding Tiger Woods, I mean, there was, he recently had that accident and there was talk that potentially drowsy driving may have been a factor in that. Um, I haven't followed up recently to see, but um, that that's another important thing as well for adults is that uh, sleep deprivation can lead to potentially, you know, drowsy driving or lapses in attention. And I'm not, um, you know, pinning the cause of that accident on that uh, by any means. But let me go ahead and share. Um, let's see here. And, and while you're doing that, you know, maybe the maybe the correlation with adolescence is reaction time and attention. And, you know, both are important for school and for sport, obviously. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you should be able to see that sleep and injury in young athletes. So this was an infographic done by uh, Jan Lemure. So at YLM Sports Science, you can find really great infographics. And, you know, there are some studies out there. So this Watson, they didn't really find a relationship between sleep duration and quality. Um, but I would say the majority of the studies out there are showing this relationship. And I think it might have to do with potentially, I mean, I don't think we know why this is the case, but it could have to do with mechanics, potentially, and the way people are running or jumping, you know, that may be impacted by sleep deprivation, or it could have to, or it could do with uh, decision making, potentially, or slower reaction time. I think there's a number of different ways that, um, that it, that this is the reason why. When you went from eight hours of sleep to nine hours of sleep, that it was cutting the uh, injuries in half. That was oh, the uh, yes. the mil- was that, Mila, yes. Mila something. Maluski. Um, yes. Yes. Okay. When you do look at that chart specifically, you're right. Um, uh, the injury risk was about, I think, 30% for eight hours. Um, but then once you got to the nine hours, it reduced it to about 15%. So so yeah, you're right. Um, depending on how you analyze that that study, um, that nine hour or more for adolescents really reduced that injury risk to about fifteen percent. I want to let's stay on the injury and physical um, issues and the way sleep affects it a little bit. I read something that said, you know, not only with sleep loss does it stop the healing and repair and recovery of it. Um, 
an athlete if you're not getting enough sleep, but it can also cause like atrophy, making thereby making the athlete weaker rather than stronger. Have can you talk on this point about um, how it affects um, recovery and healing? Well, as we progress through the sleep stages, so we start off in light stages of sleep, then we move on to deeper stages of sleep, and then we'll go into REM sleep, which is our dreaming sleep. And we oscillate these throughout the night so that by the end of the night, uh, you're, you know, four to five uh, non-REM to REM sleep cycles. And one of the things in deep sleep that we see is growth hormone release. Um, and so what we'll see is that during that deep sleep, we'll have more growth hormone release, which is related to repairing tissues, repairing muscles. So uh, I could definitely see potentially an impact on that if people are missing out on sleep. Now, generally, I would say that we get a lot of our deepest stages of sleep in the first half of the night. So, you know, this may not be a huge issue if you're getting at least a minimum of six hours because you're likely to get okay, a that's lot interesting. of that deeper stages of sleep. But um, okay. if you're restricting it even more than that, there could definitely be an impact on that. Is that why we see more soft tissue related injuries correlated with decreased sleep? It's because, you know, in, in that initial five, six hours, you know, the, the muscle fibers and the tendons and ligaments aren't fully healing. And so you're going out the next day with slightly, slightly damaged soft tissues. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I think that's a, a, a good hypothesis. Um, I don't know if, if the research has actually pinned that back down to sleep. I'm not sure, but that is a, a good um, educated guess. Props we were just for me. We were just, <laughs> one of the things I like to talk about is sleep help helps athletes stay in the game. And I think there's multiple ways that it does this. One of this is related to injury risk. But another, you know, key area is as it relates to immunity. So we don't want to be sick throughout the season, um, you know, because obviously that definitely impacts our performance potentially. So here is a study that was looking at sleep and how that relates, how that protects against the common cold. And what they did was they looked at people's sleep objectively with a uh, wrist wearable device coming into the study. And then they exposed everyone to the cold virus. So the rhinovirus. And what they found was that uh, sleep was related to those who caught a cold. So sleep in general, the more sleep that you got, the less chance that you were to catch that cold. And then the lower amounts of sleep that you got, the higher you were, higher the chances were for you to catch that cold. So in those people who are getting more than seven hours of sleep, there was still a chance that they would catch the cold when they were exposed to that. So we're looking at about 17% of them um, caught the cold. But when they looked at those who were getting less than five hours, you know, huge increase, almost yeah. half of the That's sample crazy. Um, ended up catching that cold. So there is a strong relationship between sleep and immunity. 
And one of that is related to inflammation. So with sleep deprivation, we see higher increases in inflammation. Uh, another key factor is T cells. So T cells help fight off infection. And um, there's been some studies to show that T cells are less sticky, so they don't attach to the pathogen as well when there is sleep deprivation compared to uh, compared to you know normal sleep. Fascinating. What about what about uh, actual athletic performance? I know there are some studies out of Stanford that looked at basketball and football performance and increased free throw and field goal percentage and faster forty yard times and. So, you know, what does the research say across sports uh, in terms of more sleep and athletic performance? There's been a lot of research on um, banking sleep or sleep extension and how that relates to performance. So there was uh, one study in particular where it was Stanford basketball players where they told players to be in bed for 10 hours and um, they... Uh, hopefully you can't hear that. Can you hear that messaging? Okay, nope. good, good. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so they, they told athletes to be in bed for 10 hours. These athletes, college athletes were getting about seven hours of sleep. So right even below the recommendation. And when they got more sleep, they found that they had better free throw percentage, better just shooting percentage in general. They had quicker reaction time. They had faster sprint times. Um, their mood was better, which can impact performance. So um, it's been shown to be useful in college basketball athletes, but also uh, serving accuracy in tennis players. Um, reaction time in rugby players. So there's been a number of studies to show that sleep is beneficial for athletic performance. So they we've have... talked about how sleep can impact your athletic performance. It can keep you healthier. Uh, it can potentially prevent injuries or help injuries recover faster. Uh, what about the, the psychological benefits of more sleep or the, you know, the, the impacts of less sleep? Mm -hmm. So I actually did a study uh, on sleep duration and how that relates to depression. We have a question really quick. Keep, keep finding your thing. But Jonathan asks, if you nap, does that count as one-to-one -one with night sleeping? So night is six hours and you take a two-hour nap. Is that the same as eight hours a night? Does it, does it correlate? In general, I think it depends on how you split that up. So in general, like if you're getting, in general, I would not recommend a two-hour nap. I know that sometimes that's not possible. For example, if you have a swimmer who has an early morning training time, because of the way their melatonin is being released, um, you know, they're just not able to go to bed on time. So in those instances, yes, I would recommend a longer nap during the day. Um, but we go through those cycles and when those cycles mm -hmm. are interrupted, you know, we may be missing out a bit on that REM sleep, which is occurring in the last half of the night. So, um, right. you know, I think if you're getting a minimum, let's say seven hours 
um, and you supplement with that hour nap. I think in that instance that it would be kind of a similar situation as if you were getting eight hours at night. But the less and less sleep you get at night, mm -hmm. the more it could have an impact. And so um, in general, you know, you kind of want to get that minimum amount if possible. And even if you are getting, let's say, eight hours, I believe it's still beneficial to take that nap during the day because you're going to have boosts in alertness, boosts in mood. Um, you know, you're going to be more productive. So napping in general is, is a really good strategy that a lot of athletes actually don't take advantage of. So what um, you're saying is get the minimum at night and then supplement that for a little added boost with a shorter nap during the day. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll talk about that uh, sleep and mental health so I can... Um, share my slide here. So this was a survey that we sent out uh, all across the world. So we had over 150 countries represented, um, I believe, if I remember right. And we were asking people to tell us the amount of sleep that they were getting per night. And we were looking at different questions as it related to depression. So we also had them fill out a validated depression survey. And what we found was that uh, of those that were recommended for depression evaluation, so once they hit a certain score, they would be uh, either recommended for evaluation or strongly recommended for depression evaluation. So of those that were recommended, we found that, you know, about two thirds had less than seven hours of sleep. This is in an adult population. And um, many of them, uh, 3%, I guess, had more than nine hours of sleep. So remember that recommendation for an adult is between seven and nine hours. So it appeared that if you, you know, look at the left side of this graph, this is the depression score on the vertical axis, and this is short sleepers, so less than five hours, five hours. So these short sleepers had a very high depression score um, with long sleepers as well, so more than 10 yeah. hours, having a high depression score, with the sweet spot being at about seven and a half hours. So those people who reported about seven and a half hours had actually the lowest depression scores. So really, and this has been replicated across the research, um, we know that sleep definitely plays a role in mental health. And we can we even know that anecdotally from ourselves, you know, if you have a poor night's sleep, uh, we definitely have mood disturbances the next day. So yeah, this is uh, really important. It's important for physical health, but also important for mental health as well. How about, um, you know, we all, we're all parents here. And I'm sure we know that our kids like to sleep in on the weekends. So talk to us about banking sleep. You know, I know there's been some conflicting things in the literature. So can you bank sleep? In other words, can you can you get a lot of sleep on the weekend to make up for sleep that you might be losing during the week? At the extreme level, it's not a good idea to um, sleep until noon on the weekend. So we call this social jet lag, actually. So social jet lag is the mismatch between your sleep schedule on 
work days or school days compared to what it looks like on free days. So the weekend in most people's mm -hmm. cases. And what we find with the research is that the more social jet lag that you have, the more um, mood disturbances we see, the less academic performance, you know, we see poor academic performance with more social jet lag. So having a consistent sleep schedule is important. For me, I kind of, uh, I kind of, use the 90 minute rule. So in general, you want to keep your bedtimes and your wake times consistent during the week, and then potentially extend your sleep on the weekends by no more than 90 minutes, trying to get to bed earlier, um, you know, and maybe sleep in a little bit of time. Once we go beyond that 90 minute mark, our brain and our body do not know when they should be awake and when they should be asleep. So uh, if I'm sleeping until noon on the weekend, it's going to take longer and longer and longer for my homeostatic process, my sleep drive to build up so that if I sleep until noon, you know, it may take me until 3 a.m. to be sleepy again, you know, so that plays an important role in this. And this is why we do see a lot of Sunday night insomnia. Now, part of that's related to having to go to work the next day, but part of it is related to sleeping in on the weekends and then not being tired at our normal, usual time. What about the opposite of that? And so for so many of us parents with kids in youth sports, they're getting up at the crack of dawn to take, you know, to drive them to tournaments far away and it's a it's a consistent thing of getting up early is there anything that we can do or what should we do to sort of combat that problem napping napping is a good one um so for myself i my son is three years old my youngest is three years old there are times when he'll wake me up during the middle of the night and he shares a room so whenever i hear him i want to kind of jump on it um, as soon as I can, so he doesn't wake up everyone else. But um, for me, when that happens, uh, I will try techniques to fall asleep. So I'll do the four, seven, eight breathing technique. I'll do the cognitive shuffle. Um, and then if I can't get to bed, if I'm still not sleepy enough, I'll get up out of bed, do a relaxing activity until I'm sleepy. And there are times where I don't go back to sleep. So I'm up at 4 a.m. I'm not tired enough to go back to sleep. So in that instance, I will plan a nap during the day. And that that saves me, you know, and it doesn't have to be a long hour and a half nap. It can be even just a 20 minute nap, a 10 minute nap. So that is a good strategy for parents who are having to get up really early on the weekends potentially schedule in a nap and you can go out to your car and just, you know, relax. So, so and what about the kids? So they're getting up at the crack of dawn and losing all that sleep. And it's hard to get a teenager to go to bed at eight 30 so that they can get their eight hours, but they have to be up at five 30 or 6 AM. Would you recommend you get them out of bed, put them in the car and have them sleep on the way there? Like, is that a good solve for that? Because this is a, definite um, issue. I think so many of these sports start early and, and parents are having to get their kids up out of bed super early. 
Yes. I mean, sleep in the car as much as possible. Would but be, it won't make you groggy when you get like taking that nap in the car. I'm always like, I don't know, is that going to make her get there and be sort of out of it or that social you had a, a term for it? Or is that it's worth it? Right. So if you have an hour long ride, two hour long ride, if you have to get up super early, let them sleep the bulk of that that ride. Yes, yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, and usually when you're arriving at the destination, you do have a little bit of time before you're actually having to compete. Yeah. Um, so usually we say, we usually see 60 minutes or so of potential sleep inertia, which is that grogginess. Um, so usually you will have enough time to kind of snap out of that. Yeah. Um getting like once you arrive at the destination if if there is light outside i would recommend you know going for a walk getting a lot of that bright light exposure mm -hmm. outside which can be as much as 200 times brighter than our indoor lighting so um yeah. that will help wake them up as well eliminate some of that melatonin and it's almost as if you know sleeping from let's say 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. would be kind of a normal part of their sleep schedule anyway. So um, I would definitely recommend that uh, sleep okay. during the car ride. The car ride, okay. Doc, Dr. Bender, you, you mentioned uh, a couple of strategies that you, you'll try and, and maybe we can put some links to those um, you know, up when, when we put the recording of this up. Uh, what a, but you know, you what about kids and melatonin? Are there foods that can help melatonin? Um, is it safe for kids to take melatonin supplements? Talk to us about that. Um, there are some promoting, uh, there are some foods that do promote melatonin and this area of research is in its infancy. So I personally don't take, um, you know, supplements to optimize my melatonin, but there are things like tart cherry juice has been shown to promote melatonin at night. Potentially kiwis is another one. So kiwi fruit. Um, and then, you know, protein before bedtime as well. It helps improve sleep quality. Fiber is a good one that is going to help improve sleep quality. So there's definitely some things to think about there. Now, when it comes to melatonin supplements, um, generally they are pretty safe. So they are pretty safe. The research shows that they're very useful for jet lag and chronotype problems. So if you if you have an, uh, a night owl that you're working with, you know, even just 0.5 milligrams of melatonin has been shown to help shift their rhythms to an earlier time. But just to use as a general hypnotic or um, help a person fall asleep. The research shows that it's just as good as a sugar pill. So that's something to be aware of. The other caveat is that you do not know what you're getting with this supplement. So there was a study that showed about 80% of uh, these sampled melatonin products. We're not... Um, complying with what the label was saying. So there was only 20% that were actually 
giving you the amount of melatonin that you were expecting from the Make bottle. Make sure it's a trusted brand. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So um, Natural Factors is a good brand and I don't get any payback <laughs> from them for that, but not, not we yet. have used... <laughs> we have used that brand uh, with our Canadian Olympic team athletes, and it's been tested by, um, you know, the WADA or the, you know, Drug Administration when it comes to athletes. Um, so that is a decent brand. But in general, I would not recommend melatonin as um, a cure-all to uh, help with these sleep problems. I know that, like, for most parents and most of these athletes, right, they're so busy with school, their sports, time is the biggest factor, right? Trying to get your homework done, get your sports practicing and get to bed in time. There's nothing, I don't know that there's much of a solve we can help with there, but I would, <clears throat> excuse me, I would love to hear more about, you had mentioned the four, seven, eight breathing and the cognitive um, shuffle. So give us a few more um, tips, if you will, on things that we can have some control over, some things that parents can teach their kids to do. Mm -hmm. Number one is a good pre-sleep routine and this kind of leads into that. So putting away the electronic devices an hour before bedtime, I know which can be very difficult to break that behavior. Um, and especially if they're working on homework up right until bedtime. So having potentially blue light blocking glasses, which is gonna block out a lot of that light that we're most sensitive to. Um, so I use those occasionally when I'm working late at night, I'll wear these blue light blocking glasses, which has been shown to, to help. Now it's not perfect by any means. So the best piece of advice would be to put away those devices before bedtime. But having a good uh, bedtime routine, starting with an alarm. So you know, we all set morning alarms, but let's start setting a bedtime alarm. And then that will be the cue for us to start that pre-sleep routine, put away those electronics before bedtime. Taking a warm bath or shower has been shown to um, improve the amount of time it takes you to fall asleep. So you fall asleep quicker with a warm bath or shower. Writing a to-do list before bedtime. So a lot of, you know, we have all these thoughts running through our head, and um, let's start putting them on paper and and put them away, you know, before bedtime, which is yeah. yeah, which has been shown to be really helpful for for falling asleep quicker. And then having those techniques either to fall asleep at the beginning of the night, the four, seven, eight breathing. So you breathe in for four seconds, hold your breath for seven seconds, breathe out for eight seconds. And you repeat that four times. That helps activate the parasympathetic nervous system. Um, also having the cognitive shuffle. Uh, so you think of a word such as bedtime. You imagine all the objects you can, starting with B, ball, baby, bus, banana. Mm -hmm. Move on to the next letter, E, eagle, egg, ear. And hopefully by the time you get to the end of the word, you'll be sound asleep. Um, I've actually adjusted <laughs> that for my own kids who are eight, six, a three-year-old doesn't really um, do it quite yet. But uh, we think of a color like red, for example, and I just have them imagine all the objects they can that you that have the color red in it. So strawberry, raspberry, even like a red shirt or red, red pants, you know, and 
it helps simulate what our brain does when we start falling asleep. So when we fall asleep, we kind of have these uh, images going through our head. So it helps simulate what's going on be before we fall asleep. It also takes our mind off, you know, being angry about not being able to go to sleep. So um, those are some good techniques. And then when this happens during the middle of the night, which I mentioned previously, I try those techniques. If I still can't go to sleep, you want to get up out of bed, do a relaxing activity, and then only return back to bed when you're sleepy. So if it's been about 20 minutes, you don't want to stare at the clock by any means, but um, you only want to return back to bed when you're sleepy. So those are some, some helpful techniques, having that pre-sleep routine and having some of these techniques to take your mind off of um, having trouble sleeping will hopefully be useful for people. Absolutely. Oh, so, so let's say uh, our kids have a, a big tournament over the weekend where they're going to be playing three or four or five games or, you know, other such, and, and probably going to start very early on a Saturday morning. What, what, what should the sleep, schedule look like for the week to maximize their performance on the weekend? Is it just keep it, keep it regular or do you have other suggestions? Well, um, I didn't touch on your question about banking sleep uh, too much, but that is a strategy for people to bank sleep leading into an important competition. And the research has shown that if you get more sleep, so bank sleep, you're extending your sleep either with uh, going to bed early, maybe sleeping in a little bit more, maybe taking a nap. Um, when we hit those sleep deprivation periods where they're having to wake up at 5 a.m. to get to a tournament, um, they actually perform better if they have more sleep than usual leading into that competition. Uh, so I would say trying to if we have, if we're, if we know, well, number one, if we have an important competition coming up, we want to bank sleep into that. But also if we know that we are going to be experiencing sleep deprivation, banking sleep is going to help us perform better during that sleep deprivation. So yeah, I would say trying to get to bed a little bit earlier if possible, maybe sleep, maybe prepare for the next day, um, you know, have everything ready to go so that you can sleep in a little bit longer. And then trying to get some of those naps will, will help people as they approach those important competitions, as well as, you know, as they approach sleep deprivation. That's, so that's helpful. You, touched, you touched a little bit on some foods and vitamins and things that can help you to try to fall asleep. Let's say you didn't, your kid didn't get enough sleep. It's a quick ride to the game. Is there anything that you recommend that can kind of get them more prepared, get them more focused, get them together as far as a vitamin or a drink? Or a, is there anything at that point when sleep is off the table? Is there something else that we can be doing? Light comes to mind for sure. Light, light. Um, light is really important. And there's different, you can use a light box, for example, and this will help improve alertness. Uh, I actually found some light glasses. So there's, hey, nice. um, there's actually a few companies that make light glasses, 
where you can wear them even over your normal glasses. And you do that for 15, 20 minutes in the morning. And that will really provide wow. a boost okay. in alertness. So that that is something people can do. Uh, for myself, I mean, um, when I'm, you, you do want to optimize your alertness. So light is a big one for me. Also exercise. So maybe, I mean, they'll probably do warm-ups and such like that. But exercise helps kind of boost some of that alertness as well. Um, limited caffeine, so strategic caffeine use can be a good one. Although, uh, you know, we got to be aware of the impact on nighttime sleep. So um, yeah, those those would be my three kind like of- Like a frappuccino or like a little <laughs> coffee drink on the way to the game. I mean, I always, sometimes I'll have my coffee and I'm like, here, take a sip. Okay, I know I probably shouldn't do that. But I'm like, is that is that really bad? Or you're saying that might be okay occasionally if you need it? I, you know, I think it's okay occasionally. Um, I'll, I'll have to look into this research a little more because I thought I heard at one point that just even like um, a half a can of Coke was was shown to be good for, now I'm not promoting okay. soda drinking here by any means, but I'm talking about a little bit of caffeine. It could be, you know, a green tea or something along those yeah, lines where healthier. not necessarily a full on Vente Frappuccino or anything, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think a little bit of caffeine can be useful for performance. We just want to be aware of the impact on sleep. And I'll just mention this study. I love talking about this study where they gave teenagers an energy drink at dinner time, and they asked the teenagers, you know, do you think this impacted your sleep overall? And the majority of them said, no, you know, it didn't impact my sleep. I fell asleep in the same amount of time. I got the same amount of sleep that I usually do. But when they looked at their deep sleep, they actually saw a 25% reduction. Wow, that's interesting. In deep sleep, where growth hormones hmm. are being released, our tissues are being repaired, right. our muscles are being repaired. So you may not think caffeine is impacting you, but on a more fine grain yeah. level, it hmm. very well could be. All right, we've been, oh, sorry, ahead, Dr. <laughs> Sam, go ahead and then I'm going to wrap it up here. I think okay. We, yeah. So, uh, so if you have any questions, get them in soon because we're going to wrap it up here. Um, so you mentioned light glasses and light boxes. If somebody were to go shop for one, um, you know, what specification should they be looking for? Personally, I like the Luminette light glasses. So these are uh, full spectrum light. So full spectrum is just kind of simulating what we would get with natural light. So that's something for people to look out for. Ideally, you want to get full spectrum light unless you are really sensitive to light. And then you would probably want to get more of that blue or green light specifically. So that's one thing. And then another thing is the brightness. So usually with a light box, we want to get about 10,000 lux. Now with the light glasses, obviously that's closer to you. So you don't need to be as concerned about that. Um, so those are two things to look out for is the spectrum of the light as well as the brightness of the light. And personally, I like the Luminette light glasses because they offer a good brightness as well as our, offer that full spectrum light. 
Well, we are almost out of time. It, as Dr. Sam said, if anyone has a question, they want to get in before we wrap it up here. You know, I do think we didn't touch on it much, but we'd be doing everyone a disservice not to mention how important sleep is also just to academics and to school and to homework. I mean, we're talking about athletes, but obviously it does the same. It has the same effect mentally with their focus and everything when they're at school and doing homework at night. And that's a huge, another huge plus of getting enough sleep. Absolutely. Yes. The research shows um, even actually, for example, if you take later school start times, they're showing with later school start times, uh, kids are getting more sleep and their academic performance is improving on all these standardized tests. There's less crashes, car crashes for these kids driving in, you know, so um, yes, absolutely. It impacts academic performance. So Jonathan, with a question here, do you think sleep masks can help, especially with people that struggle to fall asleep? Sleep masks? Um, absolutely. So one of the things I talk about, we haven't talked about environment much so far, but having a cave-like environment, cool, dark, and quiet. So part of that would be having blackout blinds, potentially um, having earplugs, and then that eye mask as well will be helpful for people and making sure the environment is cool. Um, you know, typically below 70 degrees is kind of what we would recommend. Uh, so those are really useful. One thing we haven't touched on, though, is if you really are struggling with your sleep, you want to seek help from the sleep professional. Now, so any of the parents out there, you know, you don't want to try and solve it on your own. Uh, if you have an athlete, your child is an athlete, um, you can go to centerforsleep.com and we'll put maybe a link somewhere where you can have your athlete take the athlete sleep screening questionnaire, which I helped develop. And um, this is a good way to gauge whether or not you have a problem. So this is a, a great tool where you fill out a few questions and then you're able to know, okay, do I need to seek help from a sleep professional or mm -hmm. am I okay? Um, so that'll be a good resource. And it also gives you some sleep education tips as well. Great. So that's centerforsleep.com. Is that center ER or RE? Re, I'm of course. Oh, I did it Canada. Wrong. <laughs> uh -oh. oh yeah, sorry. I just did it wrong. Yeah, it's okay. Center for Those sleep. Canadians. Centerforsleep.com. <laughs> Here it goes. Here's the right one. And I also um, have to say, follow Dr. Bender on uh, Twitter, Twitter or Instagram. She's a great follow, and that is Sleep for Sport. Correct, with four being the number. Yes, you can catch me on uh, Instagram or Twitter. And um, I'm also trying to develop a website, sleepwelltowin.com. I'm not quite there yet. But um, if you follow me on social media, you'll be able to kind of hear what I'm up to and when that will be ready. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Bender. I know I, I sure learned a lot. And um, I hope everyone else did. And we'll put all of your information up and and definitely be sharing this more with our audience. Um, and Dr. Sam, as always, thank you. Um, that was that was really great. And, and we really appreciate your time. 
Yeah, thanks, Asia. Thank you, Dr. Sam, for having me. I'm happy to get the word out. And um, yeah, maybe we can do a part two sometime. I'd Sounds love great. That. All right. Bye, guys.